Uh, right now, there's a lot of family reunions going on. Right now, there's a lot of food being prepared, and some of you may have written a list, a shopping list of what you need to buy and prepare for the family coming to town. Some of you are preparing gifts, and for family, we give gifts and get gift cards for one another. They say that Christmas and New Year's, this time is the heaviest travel season in the whole calendar year. And why do you think that may be the case? Family. Some of them are going to vacation. Those are the smart ones running away. But a lot of us, it's our family that gets together for this reunion. And so that's a good news, but there's also a concern with that. Along with that comes stress when we think about family. Uh, some of our families are fractured. Some of us have broken relationships. Some of us are, to be honest, we're trying to avoid that cousin Larry or, or Aunt Milfred or some people who are like, oh, man, it's Christmas time. Is she going to be there? And in a more serious note even than that is that Christmas time also reminds us that there are people in our lives who we love that are no longer with us. This could be the first Christmas where we're celebrating without a spouse, a parent, or even a child. And so this time conjures up a lot of images and emotions related to family. And for our church, I know that there are many who are in nursing homes and they're in homebound. And so their struggle is, boy, I can't get up and join my family during this time. So Christmas time, a lot of joy, a lot of heaviness. But perhaps that's why this time we do get discouraged about where we are as a family, where we may be, where we may thought we should have been, but we're not. And so for, if that's you, I want to encourage you today by saying Christmas time is directly related to family and a distraction and a messiness, and that's where Jesus enters in. So I want to share with you that family and Christmas are tied closely together because that's how Jesus was born into a messy manger full of animals with a teenage mom and dad. So please remember that birth of Jesus actually happened. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It happened to a real teenager and a real teenage boy. Verse 6 and 7 that we read today, Natalie read beautifully. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. When we read this, the picture we get are probably pageants. You remember children, nursing homes, Sunday school, nurseries. And, you know, you see kids going up as dressed up as Mary and Joseph. And we're like, oh, it's so cute. Little cabbage patch doll Jesus. And this is the two pictures I want to show you. And this may be the picture that we get. Common picture of the nativity. There's Joseph, there's Mary, and all these people are in the room. <laughs> now, raise your hand if you agree with me that this is the most unrealistic picture of the birth. So here's why it's unrealistic. Number one, how creepy is it to have strange shepherds just come into your room after you gave birth, and they're just watching your baby without any like, personal space? Can we say personal space, right? Personal space? I just gave birth. Um, and, and Joseph is in there somewhere, and there's a shepherd boy going, whoa. So th that's true. They came. They were in the room. That's what happened. But here's what's most unrealistic. You see Mary? See how her makeup is just right? 
You see how her face is so tension-free? She just gave birth to like a seven-pound baby. And she's going, yes. This is. And so this is a picture that we might have of Christmas. But what did it really look like? Let me show you the next picture. This picture is probably the closest to what it might have actually looked like. A dirty room, cold floors, probably smelly. And the lady who uploaded this, she, she didn't paint it, but I'm not sure how she got it, but this picture just struck me because this is her, her description. Before the shepherds come rushing in, jabbering about an angel choir, before anyone shows up with gifts, there's just Mary, exhausted from childbirth. And then there's Joseph, overwhelmed by the task in front of him and the baby, the baby that changes everything. What a beautiful picture. Because Joseph is going, this is God, and I'm responsible for him. Mary just gave birth, and she's just exhausted. I've been in my wife's room, you know, and when, when Michelle was born. I wasn't there for the second or third. Jamie and Ethan decided to be born like four in the morning, so I couldn't make it in time. But this is the picture. And so in this setting, the family, it's not rosy, it's not perfect, it's not clean, it's a little bit messy. And so Jesus, that's the point, that came into this world in the context of a messy, disheveled couple and a literal circumstance. So Christmas is God's message to us that he enters the world through the messiness of families. At Christmas, he picked a messy setting, a just unlikely couple. And I want to encourage us with that. Because beginning with Joseph, think about how messy his life is. Joseph was probably around 17 years old. Uh, anybody 17, close to 17? Yeah, 17, teenager? How old are you? 15, so almost there. He could have been 15. And so he's about to be married to this lady named Mary, a little girl. And he clearly gets his message of, by the way, Joseph, I'm having a baby, and it's not yours. But get this, it's God. How many of you would have believed Mary if you were Joseph? I mean, I mean we'll talk about a scandal. So he wanted to divorce her, her, but he was such an honorable man, we find in Matthew. He decided to divor divorce her quietly because it saves her from shame and also saves her life. Because in this day and age, if you commit adultery, what could happen to you? You're killed. And so Joseph, son of David, he gets approached by an angel, and the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel is saying she's true. What she's saying is right. This is what's happening, Joseph. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua, Jesus, literally means he saves. So it's still hard, but Joseph says, I will marry her. You ever do that? Like, you know the right decision, but it's not the easy decision. But he ends up marrying her. And so later on, we find out in Luke that a census is going to be taken. So he takes his wife, a pregnant wife, a full-term pregnant wife, eight months, and travels 80 miles on a donkey. You know how long it takes to walk 80 miles, folks? It takes 33 hours, according to Google Maps. 
So if you walk five hours a day, you could probably get there in six to seven days. That's like from here to San Diego and maybe back to San Clemente. So I know some of you bike that. I don't think you walk that. So this inexperienced husband is about to take care of God's son, and then he's about to take care of his wife, and none of this is normal. None of this is what he thought would be the case. It's a messy life. Let's look at Mary, youth group. How old was Mary? How old do you think? Anybody guess? So, in Jerusalem time, people used to get betrothed as early as age 12, up to 16. So Mary was, at the youngest, 12 years old. That is freakish to us. And then 16 years old. But that's not freakish. That's not why this story was stunning. It wasn't because she's so young. It's because that she's pregnant without knowing a man. So for the Jews, the fact that she's 12, 14 is normal. To us, it's not. But to them, the shocking part about this news was she's going to give birth and she's going to be pregnant and never touched a man or known him. And the baby inside her is God, and that is frightening. You know, I remember my kids come home from school and they're like, Dad, I got a project. It's due next month. You know, they're so stressed. Can you imagine, Dad, I'm pregnant with God's son? Let's focus on the project first. So, I mean, I mean, this is craziness. And so bringing the Savior of the world is not what Mary grew up thinking. This is not a the typical story. It was a messy story. And she had only hoped to be a good wife and Joseph be a good husband. Please don't have bad breath. Don't snore. I hope I have a good husband. And she's going to take this news that the baby is going to be God's. So it's messy. And so I want to say this, reiterating this point. Christmas reminds us it's okay to have a messy family because God came into the world through a messy family. Can you just turn to someone next to you and say, it's okay to be messy? It's okay. Just, just really say, especially if your husband's sitting across, just say, it's okay that we're messy. Because, I mean, we always see Christmas as this nice story. Jesus came, angels were singing, it's so nice. But, man, he came into the most messiest situation. So to a scared, young, newlywed couple, God chose to become a human baby. And that's the point. Um, I, I think with Instagram, Snapchat, teenagers, their stress is this. I want everyone to see how perfect and happy I am. So they put posts of pictures of food and life smiling. They're like, look how perfect our life is. And so no one puts, no one, do you notice, no one puts on Facebook, here's our laundry bags that we haven't done in a while. Here are the dishes with, with roach and flies flying over it. No one, no one takes, here's, here's the socks that's been here for four days. Look how beautiful. No one does that. What do we put? Arrange the flowers. Click. It's just the right sunlight. I just happen to have my phone. It's this human nature. We want to give this perception. Our life is perfect. and We want everyone to know how happy we are. And the worst part about it is deep inside, we're like, I'm not really that happy. I'm actually a little insecure. I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit worried about where my life is going. And God chooses to show up during those imperfect moments. That's the good news. So, I think God loves entering imperfect and messy families. I think he relishes it. So I think when our family is messy, he's like, 
I can't wait to go into that family. It's going to be a firework. And so his pattern through the Bible has been to use what kind of people? How many of you thought Samson was a role model for our teenagers? Womanizer, ego, narcissist. But God uses him because of that imperfection. How many of you think, you know who I want my daughter to look up to? A prostitute. I want her to look up to a prostitute so bad. That's the hero. And who does God use as a key heroine? Rahab. God uses imperfect, messy people because of this reason. 1 Corinthians 1.28 tells us, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, God's saying, I want to use your dysfunctional, messy families and your inadequateness by grace. Because if something great happens, you can never say, I did it. People will say, oh, we know you didn't do it, Jason. <laughs> that was only God. And that's the point. So that God's power comes through. So where do you think you can see the power of God more? In a perfect life where you're happy, everything is flowing, you see the power of God in there? Or do you see the power of God working in the desperations, in the times of moments where you feel like, God, I got nothing? Help. And to Mary and Joseph, God appears. And so the Christmas story is in the messiness, wherever you are in your family, in your life, that is ripe for God to show up and be Emmanuel, to say, this is why Christmas. I came to save you, and I came to save your family, and I'm willing to shine and bring life to you in ways that you never realize. So, what does that require of us? The only requirement for us is this. Dedicate your family to God, because God's purpose flows through family. I was reading this. I was struck at how many times, I thought it was just individuals like Abraham, Noah, David. But do you realize how much their family was involved? It wasn't just them. Like, for example, who built the ark? Noah by himself? He had three sons. Eh? Eh? My kids? Eh? <laughs> Abraham. Was Abraham? No, he had, he had Sarah. And he lied. And every hero of the Bible had a family connection and it was them together. God's will came through a person, but it affected the whole family. And I want to ask you challenges during this Christmas time. What does it look like for you to dedicate your household to God, as messy as it is, and say, Lord, here, take it? Um, you know, did you realize God suddenly was at the mercy of Joseph and Mary, this dysfunctional teen? Just think about it. What do babies do, folks? Come on, what do babies do? They go, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little bit famished. Might I have some milk? Do they go, excuse me, where's the bathroom? And they crawl all the way. They pee, they poop, they cry, they drool. They put their snots all over you and then they do one of these things. <laughs> and then I'm just picturing like, that's God. God who could say light. Boom. Solar system, galaxy, boom. Sombrero galaxy, boom. Milky Way, boom. And this God all of a sudden willfully says, Wah! and he's at the mercy of a teenage girl 
and a boy that's not his dad, and they have to wash him, wipe him, feed him. What kind of God would do that? A God who brings salvation through this humble family. Not high priests, not kings, not rulers, but to Mary and Joseph in this messy life. The only thing God required from Joseph and Mary was not a high school degree, was not their resume. The only thing, ready ready for this? It's so cheap, it's so great, I love it, I love free. The only thing God required of Joseph and Mary was trust and surrender. And remember what Mary said when the angel came. I love this. Can we repeat these words? I think it's so powerful. This is Mary. She was strong and faithful, although she was young. She was a confident believer in God. Repeat after me, please. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, that's amazing. Mary, you're about to have a child, and it's going to be a scandal. How do you respond? I dedicate my family to you. Let it be so. And Jesus would later say, I think he learned it from his mom, Matthew 26, 39, in Gethsemane, but not as I will, but as you will, regarding the cross. So there is something here that salvation and glory comes out of the darkness of surrender, and all we are to do is not to be just happier or to pretend everything's okay, but acknowledge and just surrender everything back to him. So I want to talk about that as we wrap. We're almost done. We have a strange growing phenomenon in America. Everyone's picking up on it. You don't see it because we live in America, but missionaries that leave and they come back to America, they're like, man, the things we pray for are weird. So this growing phenomenon in America is this. Regarding God and family, our prayers have become God, let your will be done as long as it doesn't have any negative impact on our family. That's basically the the premise of 90% of our prayers. God, bless us as long as it doesn't really cost us. And so what if God's plan intended to come through your family? Are you willing to say, no matter the cost, If this is you, God, I'm ready to surrender. What if the things that we fear and already are worried about, God has already taken care of. We just don't see it. Isn't that cool? And what if a family surrenders to the will of God? What would it look like? I think this is how it would look like. Our phrases would change. It would change from this, for example. We are a church-going family. That's nice. But I think it will change from that to... Our family exists for the glory of God. What if it changed from, Lord, bless our home, and put a nice poster up, bless this house. What if it changed from that to this, because we are a surrender family? Lord, we exist, we exist to be your blessing to others. That's a big difference. And lastly, what if it was, we serve God when we can, because life gets crazy. And messy to our family is your ministry team, Lord. Use it. That's how Joseph and Mary, in their messiness, responded to bring the Savior of the world in and offered everything. And this is what God is saying Will you just trust me? So, hope for the lost world 
became possible because two people, two little individuals, had faith as bold faith in God. So Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, said, if we are the sheep of his pasture, right? Psalm 23, we are the sheep of his pasture. He says, remember that sheep are headed for the altar. If you're the sheep, remember, sheep are headed for the altar. So in our lives, sometimes the rooms will run out of the inn, and maybe there's going to be times of disappointment and even discouragement. Remind yourselves and remind ourselves as we wrap up this year that our hope doesn't lie in our perfect daily lives, but in the God who meets us where we are in the messiness, in the Emmanuel, who brings us hope, and who can do more than you could ever imagine or request. In that midst of your family and your lives, God is there. Our Savior has come.